0: Welcome to Data Points, a podcast by InterSystems Learning Services. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Links can be found at datapoints.intersystems.com. I'm Derek Robinson, and on today's episode, you'll hear an interview between Zach Kroyak and Raj Singh about the ObjectScript extension in Visual Studio Code. Welcome to episode 15 of Data Points by InterSystems Learning Services. If you caught our last episode, you heard about the experience labs that we held during Virtual Summit. If any of those caught your interest, be on the lookout. We're converting those labs into exercises that will be available in our learning catalog. So you can head over to learning.intersystems.com to check it out. In today's episode, my colleague, Zach Krowiak, will interview product manager Raj Singh. Raj is a product manager for the developer experience here at InterSystems. And one topic that falls squarely into that area is the ObjectScript extension for Visual Studio Code. This extension allows developers to work seamlessly in a familiar, free, and lightweight IDE like VS Code. So without further ado, here's Zach's interview with Raj. All right, Raj Singh, welcome to the podcast. Thank
1: you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so let's get started. Uh, so, could you start by talking a little bit about how this project um, evolved from an open source project uh, with Dimitri to a community collaboration with Inner Systems?
2: Yeah, so it was, um, this is pretty much a new process for Inner Systems. We've dipped our toes in the water earlier in 2019 with some open source releases around I know, um and some other smaller things, less visible, but. Tackling a an IDE, which is something you know, uh, all of our developers touch almost every day, if not multiple times a day, was a big commitment. A lot of uh, a lot went into that decision, <clears throat> but that was partly mitigated by the fact that uh, the 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 ObjectScript extension that Dmitry Meslenikov had already had already launched had already shown a lot of popularity. There was uh, hundreds of installs. Um, people were using it every day. So, from that perspective, it wasn't too scary. Um, but just from a process perspective, we bank our reputation on sterling customer support and reliability, and so that those kinds of things are easier to achieve when you have more control. So going to embracing open source introduced a lot of uh, degrees of freedom that we we didn't know if we could be comfortable with. So uh, we went into this, you know, with a good amount of research that showed that Visual Studio Code was a really solid platform, very popular. Developers were coming to it in droves first, first development platform to to garner over 50% uh, usage rate across the whole developer ecosystem that I've ever seen in, in years and decades, probably. So there are a lot of strong signs pointing to Visual Studio Code being a terrific platform to build upon. And then we had some of those signals that the uh, ObjectScript extension that Dimitri had created was also a good place for us to start. Uh, but so we went into the spring with the decision to try this out, and we would see how it would go in terms of our culture fitting in with the with the uh, community culture, and having that having that uh, collaboration process work well. We do. You can't know until you try it out.
1: Wow, that's great. Thank you. Uh, And yeah, you mentioned support a little bit there and how this presents a unique opportunity and challenge for supporting a product because it is open source. Could you talk a little bit more about that and how how getting support for this extension works?
2: Yeah, and this will be a bit confusing for us and probably a little confusing for customers, at least at first, but there's there's gonna be a new model for this. First of all, um, for those of you who may be long-term customers, you can always do what you've always done, talk to your call into WRC talk to your uh, favorite rep and you know really get help through whatever problems you're having but we'd also like you to consider first going to GitHub issues and starting your starting your support journey there first of all because if if you're having a problem somebody else probably is having the same problem so you can probably get a lot of insight just immediately middle of the night whatever you, can, you might even solve it on your own uh secondly you you know if you're having a problem somebody else even if they haven't reported an issue is probably having the problem today or might have it in a month and you can pay it forward and help somebody else out down the road by you know keeping your keeping your journey around fixing your issue um, in the public so that is a lot of reasons why uh we should start with github issues whenever you whenever you have a problem you definitely want to put enhancement requests on github issues because <clears throat> that is where they're going to be triaged this is a community community project in the open completely and so the project management committee which is going to review all the enhancement requests and figure out whether or not to work on them uh, that's all going to happen in the open, and only things that are on GitHub issues are going to be considered.
1: Right. Thank you. So you go to GitHub to both add, um, put support requests, and also provide your feedback, and that's all through the same streamlined approach.
2: Yeah. For those uh, of you who are GitHub veterans, you'll um, you'll get that pretty easily. But for those of you who are new to it, it it may be feel a little bit foreign at first, but it should quickly. You should quickly get comfortable with it. So issues are just kind of a place, issues maybe is a mis- little bit of a misnomer. It's a place to start a discussion on a particular topic. And then as that topic evolves, it could be co- It could go from a bug report to an enhancement request if you filed it wrong in the first place, um, or it could go the other way. The important thing is that if there's something you, if there's some friction in your experience, if there's some problem you're having, or something you just want to say is is great, you always go to a single place, GitHub Issues.
1: Right. Thank you for that. And yeah, I know you also mentioned before that you can actually access that a link to the GitHub right from VS Code if you just go to the extensions page. Um, so could you talk a little bit? I'm curious a lot about the different elements of the extension, or really extensions now. I think there is now four, like four extensions that are part of a bundle. Um, the in particular i'm interested in the the language server could you talk a little bit more about that what's the language server's role in in the this object strict extension bundle
2: yeah so the language server is really what differentiates this from what it was six months ago Uh, the language server is a little piece of software that sits on your computer on the same Computer as uh, Visual Studio Code itself, but it's a separate, separate executable. It's a separate little process running, and it mediates communication between your IDE and your Iris or Cache server. And what it's doing is, as you type, every single character you type, it's going and figuring out on the back end in the database whether there's some information it can provide to make your coding experience better. So what we see, what that means, is that if you want to do code completion, variable completion, um, get some documentation on a built-in class or one that you've, one that you've written yourself and have already compiled to the server, all that rich information comes through the language server, constantly being in communication with the server, and knowing the whole class the whole code base that's already in the server and how basically the language interacts with the database. So the language server is a, otherwise you would have to have all the smarts right in the extension and a the first reason why that doesn't work well is that um, we can't ship your code inside the extension so that wouldn't work well and b it's just it's not an exp- extensible way to do things. It would create a huge, a huge extension for you to work with, and it would uh, it would have to be versioned for it would have to be specific for every database version. So having a language server allows us to do amazing syntax coloring. Um, It allows us to allows us to have your coding experience tailored directly to whatever version of Iris or cache you're using so whatever you know classes exist on that instance of the server will be exposed to your programming environment through the language server and it in the future will allow you to even have languages within languages, within languages colored perfectly. So if you're writing SQL inside an object script routine, that will be, those will be colored separately. You might be writing, you know, a Python routine inside of an object script class, that will, the Python will be colored with Python syntax, the object script will be object script. All those things will be mediated through the language server.
1: Wow, that sounds like it's going to be a, a massive boost to productivity and just making making your experience as a developer so much smoother insofar as you can just see the whole code base that you're working with um, and all those like nested syntax um, kind of um, colorings as you were talking about. Um, so um, I'm curious, you know, about a, a couple of things. First of all, like if i um, coming from, you know, the days of Atelier, you um, Can I still use Atelier? Or is Atelier
2: being deprecated? Atelier is definitely being deprecated or sunset. It really, you know, it's it's, VS Code already does more than you can do with Atelier. So there really is no reason for Atelier users to go to stay on that platform. It's quickly... the, the VS Code environment has been so successful, we've surpassed Atelier's functionality sooner than we expected. And so the the official message is definitely, if you have been using Atelier, it's time to move. It's time to migrate as quickly as possible. And, uh, and we've been giving that message to people who have asked and we haven't had any pushback. So people who have tried out both are so happy to move on from that. Right. And I can say just, you
1: know, as a user myself, the, the difference between the challenges of even just installing Atelier uh, on my version of Eclipse versus VS Code, it's night and day getting VS Code up and running. And my IDE was, you know, a matter of like two buttons uh, and it was running. Um, now on
2: the other side of things, what about Studio? Is that going to be sticking around? Studio will definitely be sticking around for for a very long time. Um, their studio, First of all, Studio just does things that the VS Code object Script extension doesn't do and may never do. All the low code editors for the interoperability slash ensemble products um, just don't exist on Visual Studio Code yet. There are a lot of wizards in Studio that people have grown very used to, which the VS Code platform just works on a different metaphor. So I don't even know if we can bring, we definitely can't bring them in the same form to VS Code, We may be able to replicate them in the in the model that vs code likes a little bit and we'll continue to do that with code templates and things like that but they're going to be different platforms for the foreseeable future and they're going to have different strengths and weaknesses and i think people who have grown accustomed to studio will continue to use it for certain things and they'll probably end up in a mixed environment where i expect over the next couple years more and more, more and more mainstream object script development will probably be on VS Code and Studio will still be there for custom, you know, little, I don't want to say esoteric, but some more special purpose um, needs. Right. So if you're,
1: you know, working with wizards or some of those more kind of, um, as you said, um, kind of um, obscure needs that, that, um, studio offers, that's the way to go. But for your, your, your development work and your, your, your kind of regular coding, um, VS code is going to do everything you need it to do. Um, so one thing I, I, I was excitedly you know excitedly watching this summer was the, the kind of the, the gradual release of the product. Uh, I remember getting to around, uh, version 0.9, uh, which, um, seemed to be like, have all the functionality. Uh, and then that was in, I think early September. Before version 1.0 came out in October, could you talk a little bit about what what
2: changed between those versions? Um, well, the big change was the language server, which I had just talked about. That was that that took the product from kind of a toy to being a real production quality thing. And I don't want to denigrate it too much. It's, it wasn't a toy, but the syntax coloring wasn't perfect. There were things that weren't colored right. Um, there was very little inline documentation because, like I said, you can't, you don't want to build all the documentation for all the classes available, um, built in classes in Iris, into the extension. So there are a lot of things that were very limited. So getting the language server in there was the biggest change. And then there was so much more testing going from 0.9 to 1.0 throughout the summer we had we expanded the user base and inner systems getting involved in the project attracted a lot more beta testers to it gave them the the confidence in it that they were willing to devote some time to it so i would say the second biggest change from 0.9 to 1.0 is hardening the whole thing having many more eyes on the on the product and tons of bug fixes and little tweaks and enhancements and then the third big thing is the introduction of the server manager extension, which lets you, we changed the idea of how you configure um, your access to servers. In 0.9, in previous versions, you pretty much had one server that you could access. And if you wanted to access, you, you only had one server per project you could access. If you wanted to access a different server, start another project. allows you to have multiple servers, multiple iris servers or cache servers hooked up to the same project, and also allow you to use server-side source control instead of only client-side source control. So a host of new features, I would group them all under moving into the enterprise level um, feature set. And so it's definitely, it works the same, most of it works exactly the same as 0.9, but it's it much deeper and it'll take you a lot further. You won't, you won't max out on your ability to do your projects. Great. Yeah. There's so many things I've
1: you know experienced there, but there's still, you know, the things you're describing, I still am excited to dig deeper in and
2: try some of that out. So, um, Oh, I forgot the big one, big one, which is encrypted password storage prior to 1.0. You couldn't store. You couldn't store your password encrypted. You could only use it for development environments because you either had to store that password in plain text for your server, for your database server, or you had to type it in every time you connect it. Which is a right. big pain. Yeah, that's a that's a big one. Um, yeah. So
1: what's what's next for VS Code uh, Object Script? What's the future hold?
2: Well, I think this winner is going to be less big splashy features and more making it rock solid. We're going to, I think with 1.0 coming out, that will attract a lot more users to the product. And when you get a lot more people, you'll, you'll find some of the dark corners, some things that don't work as well. So we'll spend a lot of time making it solid and dependable. And then we're going to begin to look at uh, some small new features and some big new features. Somebody we're talking to this week at, during the virtual summit our annual user conference brought up, the, brought up the issue of refactoring, code refactoring, which I think is a must-have. It's one of my favorite features of an IDE, which decades ago, when I started being a programmer, um, got me off of text editors. And to use a real IDE is the idea that you can change a variable name. The, the IDE would allow you to change a variable name, and it would change it everywhere it appeared in your project or change a class method signature and change it everywhere it appeared in your product in your project uh, those kinds of mass refactoring things are huge productivity boosts so we need to get more of that in there i think we're going to greatly expand the number of code snippets which is vs code's term for templating out um, boilerplate code so that there's stuff you write all the time um, and you don't want to type it in you know every time from the most simplest thing like for loops or if then statements to whole class class signatures if you're doing a, if you're doing a rest a rest um, implementation there's a bunch of stuff that that is boilerplate that you just need in there all at once if you're extending a class there's a bunch of boilerplate stuff so we'll be taking a close look at what are the most useful things and once again jump on GitHub issues and, and request your favorite, your favorite boilerplate code templates. And we will work on building as much of those as we can.
1: Right. Thank you. So one last question I just, I'm wondering about, this is an open source project. Does that mean that like, if I see a feature, I can theoretically do a pull request and try and develop myself. Um, Are you encouraging users to do that as well if they have the time and motivation?
2: Yeah, definitely. That would be great. That is the ideal state of any open source project to have a huge, thriving developer community. Uh, and don't be intimidated. There, This is another great thing about the VS Code platform over Eclipse. You can get into it, you can get into programming for it very easily. So for example, Um, Writing the extension is hard, it involves TypeScript programming and understanding the whole code base can be very complicated. But it can be as simple, as I mentioned, the boilerplate code. That is something which is done simply through writing a single JSON file. And you can even do it, you can even do user specific code templates. So you can create your own little JSON file um, that works in VS Code without even submitting it to the main open source project for inclusion in, in, the, uh, in the whole product. So, And we have a document available on the GitHub repo called contributing.md that shows you how to set up your Visual Studio Code environment for development, instead of just use. But yeah, it's uh, pretty easy to get started, and there are steps to get you dip your toes in the water and get you more and more involved in being a code contributor. And then on the governance side, we have uh, we've set up a process for accepting those types of contributions and having you become more and more a part of the project, you can get involved as much or as little as you want to be in the development side of this thing.
1: Great. Um, so, yeah, the future looks like tightening it up in the short term, uh, making sure that we kind of address any support cases as they come with any, of course, invariably with any new technology, and then a little further down the line, adding some of those features like code refactoring. Um, Raj Things, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it's been a pleasure speaking
2: with you. Yeah, thanks. Um, I can't can't wait to see what people do with this platform, not just from a user perspective, but This is a product for developers and by developers. And I hope to have a lot of developers join us on
0: making it better. So thanks again to Raj and Zach for having that conversation about VS Code. The extension is definitely a great breakthrough for making development on intersystems technologies easier and more intuitive. So we encourage you to check that out if you haven't already. That'll do it for episode 15, and we'll see you next time on Data Points.